Hello and welcome to the Times Online Pittsburgh Penguins podcast. It is your host, Brian Metzer, back with you as I am each and every week here on the program. And uh, it is the January 25th edition of this show. And uh, we are now a handful of shows into the year 2017. And the Penguins are just a game away from the National Hockey League's All-Star break. We have a ton to get to on the show today. Uh, some injury news. We'll speculate about some of the most recent trade rumors. We'll tell you how the team's been doing lately and share a couple other uh, thoughts, some news and notes, etc., including news of the weird. But before we do all of that, let me tell you where you can find this program. And of course, if you aren't already aware, you can find us at timesonline.com itself. You can find us on iTunes, you can find us on Stitcher Radio, and you can find us on SoundCloud. Simply search Beaver County Times and you will come across this show as well as all of our other podcasts. And uh, we do, I think I speak for all of our our hosts and and authors, etc. when I say uh, we thank you for your support and checking out everything that we do for timesonline.com. You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Metzer. I always enjoy interacting with you there over on social media. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc. But Twitter is probably the easiest and we will uh, catch up over there once you guys look me up and give me a follow. So I would appreciate it if you do that. Um, it has been an interesting week, to say the least, in and around the team, in and around the world, if you will, because, of course, uh, we have a changing in our political climate with a new president taking office last Friday. Uh, we're not going to talk about everything going on with that, but that's made things pretty interesting. And personally, that's made me sort of avoid social media over the last week. I think it's only getting worse. It's not calmed down much, but that's why you have the joy that is Twitter lists or uh, tweet deck, all these other things you can do so that you can just categorize your followers and or follows into handy lists of things that are just going to speak to the interests that you want to speak about on any given day. Now, I will say, though, the problem with creating yourself a hockey list is that most folks that are covering hockey around North America tend to weigh in a little too heavily with uh, political commentary, at least in my experience, and that makes the joys of following some of those folks uh, lessened quite a bit, and uh, I, I do hope that's going to start to cool off because it's starting to uh, be a little tough. No matter where you, which way you lean or, or uh, you follow, it's been hard to cover uh, or to follow all of, all the folks you do for sports, entertainment, etc., etc. So um, that's made things a little bit crazy over the last couple of weeks here, and of course things have been crazy in and around the Pittsburgh Penguins because they turned around a three-game losing streak their first in over a year, and that happened leading up to our show last week. They uh, reeled off four straight victories before they lost to the St. Louis Blues last night, uh, because we are recording this on Wednesday the 25th. They lost to the Blues on Tuesday night in a 3-0 game. Kind of a uh, a disappointing effort the way they went quietly into the night. It's not the way you wanted to see that team play after they had reeled off those those, um, four very very impressive victories. At least three of them were impressive. The uh, win over the Washington Capitals was impressive in that they uh, scored eight goals, but I don't know that it was a a great hockey game in the way they played, but I'll take it just because it turned things around from that losing streak. Now, over the span of that uh, four-game winning streak, 
the Penguins were able to run up 24 goals on the opposition. They outscored teams 24-10 to 10 over that span, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that's correct, because they allowed seven to the Washington Caps and one each to the Montreal Canadiens, Carolina Hurricanes, and Boston Bruins. And um, they pretty much were dominant offensively in all of those games. And they, they did it to two pretty effective goaltenders in two of those games. Uh, well, three, actually, because Braden Holtby was in the net for the Capitals game. We talked about that one last week. Then you saw the Montreal Canadiens carry Price, let up four to the Penguins. And the Boston Bruins, Tuka Rask, was chased from the game whenever the Penguins beat the Bruins 5-1. to one. That happened, though, partially due to the fact that Rask was suffering from a migraine headache. And he had to... Um, retire to the locker room with that ailment and and wasn't able to finish the game. But the Penguins were already starting to take control of that one offensively and had run up a few goals on him before he left. Now, that run of 24 goals in four games pushed the Penguins back to the top of the league lead in terms of the highest scoring team. And uh, it's just been fun to watch them play offensively. It's something that wasn't on display against the Blues, obviously, but at the same time, they are getting some great contributions from up and down their lineup. They have the New York Rangers uh, .11 goals a game behind them now in terms of the average per night, but the Penguins are averaging 3.55 goals per game uh, on the season here, and that's through 47 games played. So yes, it's kind of hard to believe, but we are almost at the 50-game mark of the National Hockey League season. Um, It's going to be a little bit of a slower week in and around the Penguins. They play at Boston tomorrow uh, on Thursday night. Then they will be off through the weekend for the National Hockey League All-Star break before getting back to action next Tuesday. And then um, it will ramp up from there again with a couple of semi-busy months. I don't think February is going to be too tough for them, but March is definitely going to be a tough month with 16 games on the docket. And they will also play pretty much every other night from March 29th on through the end of the season on April 9th. So that's going to be a a grind for this team. Now, uh, when we're talking about the way they have played offensively, the Penguins are, are getting these contributions from up and down their lineup. They have had 24 players record at least one point this season. And I know I've given you these numbers before, but they've actually improved from the last time we looked at them. And it's it's kind of, kind of fun to see the way that everybody's getting in on the act here. So uh, as I just said, 24 players with at least a point, eight players with 20 or more points, Five players with 30 or more, and of course the Penguins are pretty much um, the only team with two players that have been able to score 50 or more points so far on the season. Uh, Not too many teams can boast that. The uh, closest to it right now would be the... um, There's really nobody in striking distance of it at the at the exact moment. Uh, you have Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin sitting there at 54 points, both two points behind Connor McDavid. Brent Burns, very impressively for a defenseman, is sitting there in fourth place in the league scoring race uh, right behind the the two Penguins with 51 points. And then everybody else has uh, 48 or less. And no two teammates are sitting there primed to jump into the 50-point plateau. Phil Kessel, just five points away from 50. And once he gets there, he'll give the Penguins three 50-point scorers. And I know it's not quite uh, the... the, uh, 
teams that the Penguins had back in 1996 where you saw Mario Lemieux and uh, Ron Francis, Yarmir Yager, and Kevin Stevens all rolling up, uh, you know, essentially pushing three-digit totals for the season, but it's still kind of fun to watch all these guys uh, get it going offensively. So that's just a little stat I wanted to share. Now, through this uh, streak of games, the winning streak, that is, a couple of players I felt really separated themselves from the pack on the depth chart and given the Penguins some options moving forward in terms of their blue line because they are still without Chris Letang. Uh, He is uh, very close probably to returning. We're going to talk about him here in a little bit. But uh, Brian Dumoulin did return to the fold last night wearing a uh, modified face shield to protect his surgically repaired jaw. And that was a big get for the Penguins to get him back in the lineup just because he plays so many minutes. And um, before I, I get back to my point about the players that separated themselves, let's tell you quickly how Dumlin did. He, um, he he did return to the lineup. He had missed 10 games with the broken jaw, and he finished with a minus rating in the game. He ended up being on the ice for both, uh, for, for two goals against by the St. Louis Blues last night of the three that they scored. But his return uh, was a big one for the team. He started the game on the third defensive pairing with Chad Ruedel, who is a player I wanted to talk about. Finished with 14.53 on the ice, 144 of that coming on the penalty kill. And I felt like he showed zero fear of getting re-injured because he went out and blocked four shots. And uh, you're sitting there with a modified face shield and you're jumping in front of you know blistering slap shots. That's pretty impressive stuff. But uh, So he's back. Latang very close to getting back. But the two guys that uh, were filling in for them, Cameron Gauntz and Chad Ruido, I felt like really acquitted themselves well and given the uh, coaching staff here some options moving forward. Ruido is still here in Pittsburgh. As I just mentioned, he was teamed with Brian Dumlin last night. And he has played now 10 games, one goal, two assists over that span, a plus five rating, and 16 shots on goal. Gauntz was sent back to Wilkes-Barre-Scranton when they activated Dumlin yesterday. But he played three games. He had two assists in those games. He was a plus three, three shots on goal. And there was a funny moment with him on the Root Sports broadcast. I'm curious if any of you noticed this. If you did, please do drop me a tweet about it. But, you know, media media outlets do this a lot when they are putting something together or putting a package together to show a a stat line or something like that for a player that either hasn't been on the team or uh, was recently acquired via trade or something like that. They'll take an existing headshot of a player and they will Photoshop the new guy's head on the body, change all the info, and voila. You have a headshot showing it looks like he was there for photo day and all this other stuff, so you're good to go. Well, that happened with Cameron Gauntz when he was called up. And I, I just was chuckling about this, and I had a chance to talk to Paul Steigerwald about it when we did our weekly show for the Penguins Radio Network. He, he didn't realize that it happened, but on the Root Sports broadcast, they clearly used Phil Kessel's body for Cameron Gauntz and that's not really much of a stretch because if you notice when Gauntz was here there were times if you looked really quickly you almost felt like they it was it was Phil Kessel there because he sort of had that uh, same kind of hairline a little bit more of a round face and uh, a, a similar build so it was kind of funny they slapped his head on Phil Kessel's body but where they aired was when they put the headshot up on the Root Sports broadcast they put up Gauntz's face, Gauntz's statistics, but it said right wing 81 under it. 
uh, and they had the name changed though. So they forgot to make some pretty important fixes to the headshot before it went live on air. And uh, it proved that they did indeed go with the Photoshop of Phil Kessel for Cameron Gaunt. So just a stupid little fun thing I wanted to throw out there. Now, Things were coming up all unicorns and rainbows during that winning streak. I, I think everything went very well. They were scoring goals. They allowed only one goal to the Canadians, Carolina Hurricanes, and Boston Bruins. But then you get into that game against St. Louis Blues last night. And the biggest problem for me was, first, Penguins were right in it, but they looked a little lethargic at times. I know a lot of the people I was working with up on press row kept wanting to point to the size of the Blues and the fact that they were hitting the Penguins and saying, well, this is starting to be an awfully big concern. I mean, this is now the Los Angeles Kings have limited the Penguins' opportunities with their size, and now the St. Louis Blues are doing it. Well, I hear you. Uh, it's a bit of a concern, I guess, uh, if I hadn't seen them sort of handle the San Jose Sharks with relative ease last spring with uh, much this same team, I might be a little bit more worried about it. But I, the Penguins did a great job against the Sharks. They were built in much the same way as the St. Louis Blues, a big team, more of a hitting team, uh, sort of a, a lumbering squad that goes out and tries to drive you into the earth a little bit. The issue for me was I think the Penguins took a look at the schedule they said, okay, we're, we're coming up on the All-Star break. We're rolling right now. We've scored 24 goals in our last four games. We're starting to feel pretty good about our game again. Matt Murray's playing well. The Blues had lost three straight games coming into it. They had allowed 19, no, 18. I keep saying 19. This is like the uh, fourth or fifth time I've done this, and it's not only here with this podcast. I said it, uh, came close to saying it on the Penguins Radio Network broadcast last night during the intermission. But the Blues allowed 18 goals in their last three games, so and 29 in their last seven, I feel like the Penguins thought, well, we're just going to roll over St. Louis. We're not going to, they're, they're stumbling right now. They're not playing very well. And didn't, not that they didn't take it seriously, but I don't think they brought their A, their A level of effort from the early moments of that game. They weren't really necessarily ready to play. And that was the biggest thing that worked for the Blues because while the Penguins had a very, uh, a fairly good first period, first period the Blues eventually started to get a foothold they were hitting the Penguins and nothing they did really seemed to get the Penguins to wake up and they didn't play their style of hockey game and that that was really a shocker on home ice too because uh, the Penguins had been so effective on home ice they were 22 and 2 coming into that matchup last night so it's uh, not the way you want to play against a team that was hungry for a victory. Now, we should mention, before we get too far along here, about the Western Conference, and if we're going to panic about all this, the Penguins are 7-4-3 and three against the West. So, yes, they could be a little bit better against those opponents, but at the same time, they don't see them all that often. You're only playing them like twice a year, and they will see the Blues again in a couple weeks. We'll see how they do when they match up against them the next time around. Now, the fact with these big bodies being an issue, Sidney Crosby was asked about that, uh, and if he thought his team played di- or plays differently against that style of team, and he said, uh, yeah, some big bodies and good reach on a lot of those guys when he described teams from the West, and he said this was just one of those games where you've got to put your chances in. Both teams didn't really get a ton on the ones that they did get. They capitalized on a couple. We hit some posts. We had some really good looks and didn't put them in. 
that's the game sometimes. So really, it wasn't a matter of them being overwhelmed or anything like that. And I know they're not going to come out and say, yeah, we couldn't handle their size. That's not something that pros are going to say. But my assessment was that's not an issue. Usually the Penguins' speed, if they're playing the way that they can, uh, that's going to overwhelm teams from the Western Conference. The problem is they're not playing to that level on a nightly basis. They're not using their speed to be dominant. They're still taking a handful too many penalties uh, in terms of the tripping and the holdings and all of those. We talked about that last week on the show with the penalties of laziness, and that's the issue. But if you want to find the biggest culprit for why the Penguins lost last night, look no further than an 0 for 6, a goose egg on the power play. That uh, was the difference in my mind. I mean, if you score a couple power play goals, which the Penguins have done a lot of lately, they'd have been just fine in the game. I'm not going to even look at the third goal that the Blues scored because it came late in the game when the Penguins were really pushing the attack and weren't really focused on the defensive side of the puck. If they had taken advantage of their power plays and they came very close to doing so on their first power play of the night, they'd be ahead in that game one to nothing. And, you know, say shoulda, coulda, woulda all you want. It didn't happen, so it's not worth dwelling on. But it was the difference in the game for me. Now, when you look at the power play struggles, uh, Mike Sullivan talked about this. He came right out and said, you know, it, it wasn't just the PP either. He, he said this, I just thought it was a night where it was a struggle for our team. That's what I just told you. I think it was a definite struggle for them to get their legs under them. They weren't playing their style of game. He continued, it was a night where we didn't have a lot of jump. The power play was a microcosm of our overall game. But the Penguins captain, Sidney Crosby, he pointed the finger at himself for why the power play was not effective in the game. And, um, you know, he may have been a little too hard on himself, but at the same time, he's spot on here. He, you know, he's done a lot right for this team, but ultimately, when it comes down to it last night, the Penguins had some trouble getting set up in the offensive zone during these power play opportunities because he wasn't able to win many of his uh, face-offs. Crosby, who's always out there to start the power play, won only 38% of his face-offs in the game. And uh, he was even, it was even uh, a little bit more of a struggle for him whenever he was in the offensive zone. It was just um, a situation where he was not able to win many face-offs when he had those chances. The puck would get cleared, dumped down the ice. They weren't able to uh, get it fast enough. You're eating up almost a minute of your power play just going back to get it, getting back up the ice, getting situated. So uh, this was Sid's quote about it, and, and this is Sidney Crosby being Sidney Crosby in my mind. I, I have a lot of respect for the way that he will take um, – you know, he takes the good and the bad. He's not going to try and point a finger. There's a couple players around the league and even in that locker room where when things don't go their way, they're sort of, it might not be very evident in a, in a huge way, but they're pointing the finger at somebody else a little bit. It's this guy's fault or the, the teammates didn't do this or didn't do that. Not here. Sidney Crosby had this to say. I've got to win. Uh, he says, I've got to win faceoffs early in power play opportunities. Um, that's something that, that uh, he was focusing on here. Here, wait a minute. Messed up my quote here for you. I've got to win just a few to at least give us a chance to get some momentum. When you have to go back that many times and you start to not execute coming in, it makes for a pretty quick power play. And that's what we just said because he's got to, the, the defenseman got to go back. They got to, you know, reclaim the puck, get up ice, etc., etc. So he goes, so yeah, I think faceoffs definitely. If I can do a better job there, maybe we settle things down a bit. 
It happens. You lose face-offs, but you don't want to lose that many. I think I've got to do a better job of giving us a little help there. So uh, Sid taking the burden on himself. We'll see how he bounces back against the Boston Bruins tomorrow night because his old buddy Patrice Bergeron is uh, one of the best over the course of Sidney Crosby's career at beating him in the face-off dot. And uh, I guess the good news is if he doesn't have a good night, he'll have an opportunity to take the all-star break to sort of think it over and uh, figure out what's going wrong. And he'll probably be using the all-star break to take some face-offs and practice in that situation. Now, on the flip side of this, one player that I wanted to comment on, and I'm curious for your thoughts on him as well, please do feel free to tweet me about it, at Brian underscore Metzer, is um, Nick Benino. He, is he close to getting himself uh, broken out of his, his slump? Because last night I felt like he was very, very good for the team. He He's only scored one goal in his last 14 games, but he was really, I think, one of the Penguins' better players on the ice from start to finish last night. Came very close to beating... Carter Hutton on that first power play that I was just talking about. Nick Benino got the opportunity right in front of him, threw a nice shot on goal that beat Hutton over the glove hand, but it, it caught the post and uh, just deflected harmlessly out of play or out of the area there of the net, I mean, and, and it didn't end up creating even a rebound opportunity. And that was one of the Penguins' best opportunities when they when they rolled up the uh, 11 shots on goal that they did during the power play. But Benino... He, um, overall, I thought he was a good checker. He matched up against players very well last night. He threw two hits. He blocked a couple shots. He had a takeaway. Was very, very good in the faceoff circle to be on the opposite end of the spectrum from where Sidney Crosby was. He won 73% of his faceoffs, and uh, he was just doing all of the little things you need to do to be successful. So I feel like Nick Benino's probably close to a breakout. I know a lot of folks think that he could be a guy that you could easily trade out of here and uh, offset the loss of probably a little bit more easily than a couple other players. We'll see if that would ever come to pass. But for my money right now, he's been playing some very uh, solid hockey over the last few weeks, even though he's not scored but that one goal in 14 games. So we'll, we'll keep our eye on him moving forward. Keep in mind, he had a very rough first half last year and was one of the Penguins' best players coming down the stretch as part of that HBK line. So maybe this All-Star break is coming at a good opportunity or an opportune time, I mean, to give that unit sort of a chance to take a couple days to, to reflect on where they're at. Maybe they come back with a vengeance next week and uh, start playing like they did in the second half of the season last year where they made themselves uh, Pittsburgh Penguins hockey legends in, in route to winning the Stanley Cup. Um Already talk, told you about Brian Dumlin returning. That that happened in the game last night. That was a note that I had here to talk about. And um, a couple injuries to report, though. And that's not good news for this team. The first, uh, the, the first is a little bit more significant, I would think, because it's going to keep a guy out of play. That's Evgeny Malkin. Um, it, it was tough to get a good bead on what happened to him in the game. I talked with Phil Bork about this last night. We were trying to figure it out during the intermission, and there wasn't a, a, a replay available to us at the time to see how it, how it shook out. But they're saying that Evgeny Malkin is uh, suffering from a lower body injury. A couple folks I talked to said it looked like maybe he had an issue where he was going to have a shoulder or something, the way he went to the, went to the bench when he originally was injured. But um, he is going to be out 
against the Boston Bruins on Thursday. And as if, you know, put your shock face on, he's out for the All-Star weekend. This is so reminiscent of a couple years ago where both Sid and Gino were going to be heading to the All-Star game. And the Friday night that they were, it was the Thursday night that they would have been leaving for the All-Star weekend events. News broke literally at dinner time that they weren't going to go. This one's a little bit earlier. Gino going to be out. We'll see what happens with Sidney Crosby. Uh, hopefully he is going to be able to make it because he is on that team as well. And uh, that will be a lot of fun to see Sid in the All-Star game because he's not been able to go for a while now. Uh, he's He's been named an All-Star numerous times, but he's not been able to go and participate. Last year, he wasn't even named to the game uh, based on people around the league feeling like he wasn't having a Crosby-esque season. You only get in on your name if, you're, if your name is uh, Jonathan Taves, I suppose. And I'm kidding because Jonathan Taves was the first to admit he's not having an All-Star caliber season, yet he did make the uh, Central Division roster for the All-Star game. But... Uh, Mike Sullivan had this to say about <clears throat> Evgeny Malkin, uh, and this quote's also going to cover Patrick Hornquist, who was also uh, absent today from the practice up in Cranberry at the UPMC Sports Complex. Uh, Hornquist is dealing with uh, an injury of his own. Uh, his is a lower body as well, and you may recall him early last night uh, in the game. He went to the bench after what looked like maybe blocking a shot, and he was he limped over to the bench, and then he, he finished the game, but he was in a lot of pain, and he looked like he was dropping some expletives on the bench. Anyway, Mike Sullivan said, uh, Gino will be out, um, evaluated after the All-Star break, and we'll probably have more information at that point. We'll see how Hornquist responds after today, but he'll be a day-to-day decision. So it's a disappointment that uh, Gino has to miss the All-Star game, but uh, they're going to see how he is come Monday, getting ready for Tuesday night's game. That's bad news for many here in Pittsburgh. Good news for Connor McDavid because if Kenny Malkin before last night was riding a seven-game scoring streak that had him really just shooting up the ranks in terms of the league's leading scorers. Uh, told you that Chris Letang was very close to getting back in the lineup as well. He practiced again today in a regular jersey. Uh, it looks like he's none the worse for wear. For me, I see no reason to rush him back for the game Thursday night. But this is not all that dissimilar to the game leading up to the Penguins' bye week where he didn't need to play in that game, but he chose to do so anyways. Um, So the fact that he's practiced a couple days now, he's been cleared for contact, all of those kinds of things, leads you to believe that maybe he will end up playing tomorrow. I hope he just sits out and waits for next week. But as you may remember, Chris Letang suffered that injury back on January 14th against the Detroit Red Wings in that ugly game where the Penguins lost up in Detroit. He fell awkwardly to the ice, left the game, came back for one shift and left again and wasn't able to play ever since. Letang had this to say today, uh, if I was able to stand on my leg, it, would have, it wouldn't have been that bad. But it's a significant injury that I've been dealing with. So are you being a little Ben Roethlisberger-esque there? <clears throat> Is it really a, that big a deal that you sort of got to put the drama effect on? I mean, he was back skating literally a day and a half later, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but I am happy to see that the Wolverine-like healing ability of Chris Letang is kicking in again, and he should be back here in the near future sooner rather than later. We do have a couple quotes I pulled from the Penguins' website up from Brian Dumoulin today. Uh, he was happy to get himself back into the lineup last night, even though he had to wear, wear the uh, modified headgear I told you about. 
He said, it's uh, tough to think about when you're playing. I feel that shield on my face, but you don't think about the jaw. I was just trying to get back in the game and take it shift by shift and contribute any way that you can. He did play those 14 minutes and 53 seconds that I told you about uh, a little bit earlier on in this show. Mike Sullivan said, when talking about Brian Dumoulin, I thought he was a bit rusty at first at the beginning part of the game, which is to be expected. I thought as the game went on, he got better. I thought he settled in. I envision him taking on more of a load with each game that he plays because he's got the first game under his belt, an important one for him to take that next step. So um, Brian Dumoulin was one of the top minute-munching defensemen on the Penguins' blue line. The trio of defenders at the top of that list, of course, Chris Letang, Trevor Daly, Brian Dumoulin, those three play the most minutes among all Penguins defenders, and it will be great to have two of those, or all three of them back in the lineup, because Daly missed some time a little bit ago, and then he got himself back. All three will be back in the fold, and then we'll start to get a little bit better indication of what is going on with this Penguins team as a whole. Uh, I did want to mention just because the Penguins are hyping this up today and, um, you know, we, we've sort of, we're all spreading this news around. If you didn't know already, one month from today, the Penguins will host the Philadelphia Flyers in the NHL Stadium Series game under the lights at Heinz Field. Tickets still remain for the unique outdoor game between these longtime in-state rivals scheduled for Saturday, February 25th, 8 p.m. And boy, oh boy, aren't we looking forward to being up against a deadline on that night trying to get all of our work done. And I'm speaking for writers and scribes around the National Hockey League because they will all converge on Pittsburgh for the Stadium Series Affair. Tickets are, of course, still available. And you can go to pittsburghpenguins.com slash stadium series to get those or call 1-800-642-PENS. This will be the first time ever that the NHL has returned to the same venue for an outdoor game since they've been hosting these outdoor games. The Penguins hosted the Washington Capitals, you may remember, at Heinz Field in the NHL Winter Classic back on January 1st, 2011. A date that Penguins fans would love to scrape from the annals of history. No one wants to think about it because it is the game uh, that had the forearm shiver heard round the world. Of course, I'm talking about David Steckel slashing Sidney Crosby with a forearm to the head, a blindside hit, and that started a year and a half to two-year odyssey of concussion and neck issues for Sidney Crosby that probably came close to uh, ruining his career. Luckily, he's bounced back and is playing hockey at a high level. Um, I'm going to choose to look at this as an opportunity for the Penguins and Sidney Crosby to exercise demons and not think that it could be a potentially problematic situation going back to the scene of such a horrid crime. But that will all play out on February 25th at Heinz Field. The NHL and Penguins are planning a series of exciting events and activities in the week leading up to that game. And you'll hear the musical acts, etc., etc., announced here in the very, very near future. So that'll be exciting. <clears throat> Pardon me. One thing I did want to mention, though, um, only because it was kind of a neat thing. On Sunday, ahead of the Steelers' uh, loss to the New England Patriots, which, you know, we were all a little bit more fired up for it then, thinking hopefully they could pull it off and get themselves back to the Super Bowl. Uh, the Penguins played the Boston Bruins that day and, and won that game. We were talking about it earlier. <clears throat> but the Penguins honored six longtime staffers of the uh, PPG Paints Arena. 
uh, and one of them, John Dimitrovic, uh, it works in the media room. He, he does some other things for the um, arena management company that's there. And he, he's got this unique distinction of being the longest tenured employee at PPG Paints Arena. He worked at Duquesne Garden. He worked over at the Civic Arena, and he's seen all of the incarnations of that building, all the different management groups, all the different ownership groups of the Penguins, and he's still there working. I just saw him last night again, but it was kind of cool because I did get to interview him for the Penguins Radio Network last Sunday. I'm not sure if you heard it, but it was on during the first intermission. A really, really fun interview with John just to talk to him about his years of service working for the, uh, the club and the arena all the way since he started on September 2nd, 1961. So I want to give him a shout out here. And what was kind of a neat thing was last night, the Penguins honored him yet again because at the game, he and the other employees all received Penguins 50th anniversary jerseys. They received plaques just like all the returning players such as Jarmer Yager have gotten that are made out of the arena roof from the Civic Arena and all this other fun stuff. Well, John, uh, I walked into the media room last night and John said, look what I have now, look what they gave me now. And I looked and they had a little ceremony that I missed earlier yesterday, but I saw him post game and he showed this to me. They gave him a signed Sidney Crosby jersey that said, uh, to John, congratulations, all the best, Sidney Crosby. I thought that was just really nice, nice thing for the team to do and for Sidney Crosby to do because they all know John, they all deal with him, these players know him. And, and these start to be the faces that you see on a daily basis, not only for us as media members in that media room, but the players going down there for practices and other events, etc. These guys are there working and that, that's what's usually lost in the shuffle with these arena guys. They're not just there on game night. They're usually there all day leading up to it. And if there's an event the next day that's non-hockey related, well, their day doesn't end. Uh, A couple of the guys that I talk to pretty regularly, they go right from being ushers or being working up in the press box or whatever they're doing, they go down, change their clothes, and go out on the ice and start laying the the boards to cover the ice and do the arena changeover to put a stage set up up for a, a a musical act or to get it ready for the circus or the monster truck pull or whatever else could be upcoming. So these guys uh, do a lot of hard work so that we all can not only go there to work and play, but go and enjoy all these other events that happen in the city. So guys like John, I'm glad to see that the team really took the time to recognize them. Uh, One non-hockey related news tidbit that I wanted to throw out uh, since last we met. You all know I'm a Star Wars aficionado, a Star Wars junkie. We got the name of Episode 8. It was revealed earlier this week. And it's going to be The Last Jedi. Something that a lot of folks didn't realize is in the crawl to The Force Awakens, when it's talking about the uh, the First Order looking for Luke Skywalker, it refers to Luke as The Last Jedi. So this will be a, a lot of fun for Star Wars fans and for your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Brian Metzer. I'm pretty fired up about that. All right, I got a couple of Twitter questions for you here, so let's talk uh, through those, and then we'll get you your news of the weird, and we'll get you on your way. Um, first up today, we have a question from my buddy on Twitter, John Rutter, a great follower and a great fun interacting with him on a regular basis. John said, uh, Matt's got one for you this week. What's making Rust and Sheary so successful alongside Sidney Crosby? Anything specific that they've mentioned? Well, I'm going to tell you this. Uh, For me, honestly, I think the first thing is speed. Both of those players play with a heck of a lot of speed, and that helps the cause because they can get to open space. They know just where to go to be ready for action and to... um, just to to get themselves ready to go. Now, this is what Sherry said when he was talking about the line. Uh, He said, uh, 
he was talking about his his season itself, but he goes, it's going better than I expected at this point. I think it's a mixture of a lot of things. The way we're playing as a team and the way our line is playing, I think it's just been clicking right now. These streaks usually don't last. I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. And he's talking about his four-game scoring streak that earned him uh, number one star of the week honors. He went on to say, I think we bring a lot of speed to the table. I think when we get pucks behind the defense and come at them with speed, I think it's tough for them to defend, so I think it's just been working for us. And then he complimented Brian Rust and said his speed is a big factor. He can grind it out in the corners. He wins a lot of puck battles along the wall in the offensive zone. So when he's doing that and creating space for guys around him, I think that's when he's at his best. Now, I know Sidney Crosby really enjoys playing with these two guys. You wouldn't think that he would because they're not the, they're, they're not these, you know, world-burning wingers. You know, everybody thinks Sid needs a winger. You got to go out and get Phil Kessel, or you got to do this, or you got to do that. And you get Phil Kessel, and he doesn't even end up playing with Sid, because Sid has often thrived with maybe a less pedigreed player who works hard. And that's what we've seen with Chris Kunitz. We've seen that with Pascal Dupuis. And those guys have been very, very productive playing with Sidney Crosby. You're seeing that right now with Brian Rust and Connor Sheary. Connor Sheary specifically is in the midst of uh, a world-burning season that none of us really thought was going to be in the offing for him. I mean, he, he has been remarkable. Uh, really impressed by him. And, and you can't take anything away from what Brian Rust is doing either. I think both of these guys have played above their pay grade. And both of these guys are doing anything that you would have asked them to do playing with Sidney Crosby. They get open for Sid. They keep up with him when they get breaks into the zone. And Sheary specifically has shown an ability to just find those soft spots in and around the net. And you know when you do that, a guy who is a playmaker, the uh, who's as pedigreed as Sidney Crosby, is going to find you. And Sid does it with eyes seemingly in the back of his head, as he did a couple times to set up Connor Sheary goals against the Boston Bruins just the other day. So that's my take on it, John. That's why I think they're thriving there. Uh, our buddy Needles Heel comes in with his weekly question here for the show. He said, with the Wilkes-Barre-Scranton guys from last year, and he is referring to Sheary, Rust, Scott Wilson, etc., uh, and guys like Daniel Sprong, Jake Gensel, and others to come, is the Penn's window for winning open for a while? Well, I'll say this. Your window is going to be open for sure as long as you have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin on your roster. That's going to make the Penguins a yearly playoff contender. Now, how they build teams around them is going to determine how they do in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And having these young players available is definitely going to be the answer because you look at teams that have been good in the salary cap era, it is because they graft on cheap, talented players in and around their high-ticket superstar-style players. And that's what the Penguins learned last year. That's what the Penguins are still doing this season, getting these contributions from guys like Rust and Sheary and Scott Wilson and Jake Gensel and bringing up the AHL defensemen. Having those kinds of players available at the back end of your depth chart or even in the middle to the top of your depth chart because that means you draft well and you develop well and you have talent that you can shoot up through your lineup and inject that into your your team, you are going to be very successful. So yes, I think specifically with a young goaltender as well on the on the way uh, in Matt Murray. You, you got that aspect covered. You have a blue line that, by all accounts, is going to need some tweaking moving forward. But for the most part, if it plays as anticipated, you're going to have Chris Letang there. You should have Oli Mata if he gets himself back into form. You have Brian Dumoulin, who's still a fairly young man. Some other pieces that you hope to graft on in, the, in future years. So overall, Chris, uh, the simple answer is yes. I, I do feel like the window is going to stay open. Jake Gensel looks like he's going to be a great NHL player, uh, rolling up some offense now. 
at a level that we did not anticipate, at least at this level of the game. And Daniel Sprong, we're still waiting to see exactly what the Penguins have there because he's had his ups and downs with injuries and he is back playing for Charlottetown now. He uh, returned uh, probably two weeks ago or maybe a little bit more than that. And it was a very under-the-radar move that the Penguins sent him back. I didn't even realize it, but he is back playing with Charlottetown and by all accounts having himself a decent year back in the um, Canadian Junior Hockey. All right. Thanks for those questions, boys. You can get your question in on a future edition of the show. Simply tweet me at Brian underscore Metzer using the hashtag BCT Pens Pod. Now, time for your news of the weird. And uh, this one, a Valentine's Day one. Why not? It's right around the corner. And this comes to us from New York, the Associated Press. And it says, Roses. Who wants roses? Go out. Try roaches for an unusual Valentine's Day gift. And I probably used this. I know I used this on my old Penguins Live show, uh, and I may have used it here last year as well. But roses are red, violets are blue. How about having a roach named for you? The Bronx Zoo is offering people the chance to name one of its Madagascar hissing cockroaches in honor of someone for Valentine's Day. The zoo in New York City started offering the Name a Roach program in 2011 as a fun way to fundraise. For $10... Recipients recipients get an email certificate telling them one of the insects from the world's largest roach species has been named for them. This year, the zoo is also offering to send along chocolates or a Madagascar cockroach plush toy for higher donations. No worries about there not being enough roaches to go around. The museum said it had thousands of them in the exhibition. The money goes to the Wildlife Conservation Society. So do look them up uh, to get a loved one the gift that keeps on giving a roach or at least a roach that's named after them and with that we come to the end of another edition of the pittsburgh penguins uh podcast here over at timesonline.com i hope you enjoyed it i always enjoy doing this show for you we hit the 41 minute mark today we really extended this one a little bit longer than i normally do but that's because we were off and running and we had some things to talk about and you know me if you listen to this show once i get going i just don't stop but i appreciate you bearing with that listening to the show and we will be back next wednesday of course with another edition so you better be there or be less than circular for the times online pittsburgh penguins podcast